Let's get ready to rumble! Welcome to Aya versus the Big Boys. Tonight's fight, Aya versus Fight Club. <coughs> hey, hey, hi, hi, hello, welcome. Uh, my name is Kevin Cookman, resident big boy and ringleader for the matchup of the century. You are listening to Merry Go Round Magazine's first ever Patreon exclusive podcast mini series. As you very much know, we are stuck in a quarantine amidst a global pandemic, all working from home. Uh, so, you know, the side effect of that, uh, there's a lot more free time to catch up on media of all shapes and sizes. Uh, we all have movies we know we should have seen by now, but just haven't. All right, you can call it the canon, call it the IMDb Top 250, call it Blind Spots, or call them the big boys. The pinnacles of cinema may be the most explicitly patriarchal artistic medium of all time. Without any further ado, in today's episode and every episode, I am joined by the titular prize fighter herself, Aya Lehman. Aya, how you holding up? Uh, hanging in there, Kev. <laughs> That's all great, I've got for great you. Great <laughs> update amidst this fucking global pandemic, unprecedented, nothing like this has ever happened. You're holding up. <laughs> I'm hanging in there. <laughs> and Kevin, I do have one question great. for you. Um, which member of the Mary Garon magazine staff would you fight? Oh, it, which member of the Mary Garon magazine staff would I not fight? Uh, <laughs> wouldn't it just be like a, a beautiful smorgasbord of just like body slams. I feel like I could body slam everyone that writes for Mary around except for Thomas. Thomas is a bit of a brick wall. I think except CJ He's... too. <laughs> like Thomas is built like the Hoover dam. Like there's no <laughs> way I am winning or even standing a chance in that fight. It is pure fugitive shit. I am jumping off. I'm out. Yes. Uh, Aya, can, 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 <laughs> I, can you explain to us why we're here and why we're doing this for the Patreon? Why the fuck we're recording a podcast? Yes, yeah, chef. Um, one, I made a bingo bracket recently that said uh, all the things that people have done while quarantined, one of which was start a podcast. And I had to just check that box. So here we are. Um, secondly, Goodfellas was recently added to Netflix.com and um, decided that over the break, I'd like to break. That sounds so dismissive of what this is uh oh while quarantined while trying to save my life and others um i would watch goodfellas and also realize that i wanted to watch heat i've been putting off watching heat and we put together that these are films that are uh heavy hitters in the uh masculinity canon and so big film bro movies huge film bro movies film bro films um so we figured it might be a good time to talk about those because um i i am as kevin has referred to me the rom-com queen of merry Garand magazine and um it's uh, you know my perspective i'm the voice of a generation uh to quote lena dunham in the first episode of girls so <laughs> Uh, I fucking regret all this so much. I regret <laughs> every bit of like saying, yeah, Aya, this is a great idea. Let's record this fucking quarantine podcast. Shut it down. <laughs> um, so uh, I so yeah, you haven't fun. seen a lot of these masculine big boy movies. I have not. And yet the ones that you have seen, I am very surprised that you like them. You liked The Irishman, which most people who even like Scorsese 
don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Irishman slams, man. Man, Irishman fucking hits. It is the saddest fucking fires film of all fucking time. Hell yeah. (laughs) Don't you just love talking about movies like this? Like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, man. I fucking love Fight Club. Irishman was the shit. (laughs) It, It feels like, it feels communal, you know? I understand the patriarchy a thousand percent. I want to be it. I'm I'm looking for ways to infiltrate the patriarchy every day. <laughs> and and this is maybe our 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 biggest foray into it uh yet. <laughs> My biggest swing. <laughs> uh so why why now do you want to like why do you care about men's media? <laughs> like I feel like you've been living a pretty healthy uh media consuming life without any of these films already. Uh, I'm curious, is it just the stir-crazy bullshit that's getting you to this point, or is there, like, another existential pull here? I have this weird draw to films that are heavily focused on masculinity. So um, the reason I love The Irishman, the reason I love uh, David Fincher's Fight Club is because I... I feel like these films can be so easily written off as just, like, boy movies, um, and written off even by men as like boy movies where it's just like, yeah, we love violence. We love fighting. (laughs) We love gangsters, but they're about so much more. And they're about, they kind of call masculinity into question and they, uh, discuss like why, how it's such a flawed way to live your life. What, and how hyper-masculinity is, is so harmful. And I like to unpack as, or as I like to say, masculinity is a prison. And so, I like just wanted to unpack uh, a, a phrase you coined. <laughs> Masculinity Only is a you. prison. Um, and so I just like to, uh, I feel like that's my goal here is to just kind of watch these films from a perspective, not just of like, why do boys like these films, but what do these films have to say about masculinity slash like their role in a male dominated industry? Yeah, totally. And it's kind of, I mean, it's it's a difficult balance that we're kind of finding here because much like how these films are also finding a very difficult balance and uh, we're going to find out whether we think they succeed or completely fall off the pedestal. Uh, finding, because there are also very much film bro essentials that are legitimately awful. <laughs> like <laughs> truly despicable pieces of shit. And I guess what we're going to see is which one of these films are actually the despicable pieces of shit and which ones are just like plagued with the curse of people not wanting to actively watch a movie. Yeah. And that's kind of what I want to, why I want to watch the Joker. (laughs) God, I fucking, every single sentence that comes out of your mouth, it makes me regret agreeing to this (laughs) more and more. I don't want to watch The Joker again. <laughs> I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to watch The Joker, but I do want to understand men. Because maybe maybe that's my ultimate goal, is to figure out men. Because I don't understand them. And usually I don't care to. I mean, an understandable goal and also uh, like something that you just never care to do. Uh, I think Joker, as much as I, I hate the fact that we are probably going to do it, uh, it is maybe one of the like the sneak MVPs of what of like framing this entire series for ourselves because that is a film that I view as genuinely toxic that so many people 
are fighting for in it, so many people are fighting for its inclusion in the classics canon. Um, that is a film that is like so badly by Joker fans wanting to be lumped in with the Godfathers and the Heats and everything else of that ilk in the world. And I feel like that film is uh, Joker is so wrongheaded. Whereas a lot of the films that we're going to discuss, or at least hopefully we find when we discuss are sort of looking at masculinity from uh, a more analytical and sort of uh, very uh, highly critiquing perspective that has somehow throughout the decades uh, just been completely faded away into reputations as dorm room poster movies. I do think that's probably what inspired me, like ultimately subconsciously inspired me to talk about this and to learn about this is because there was that tweet that was going around like a month ago that was basically like fight or Joker and fight club are the same. That's really watered down version of it where it's like, no, the Joker is how people see Fight Club. Fight Club is so much more complex than the Joker, and it has so much more to say about men and masculinity, and, you know, even homoeroticism, and uh, the Joker just fucking doesn't. <laughs> and so it's it's easy to just kind of, like, like, combine those two and to ignore the the depth of Fight Club in favor of just shoving it into the category of just like movies for boys or vice versa to equate the Joker with something that is so complex as fight club. And so I think Watch that that's good to Joker and you love it. Like I, <laughs> I feel like that might be the wild card of this series. You love Joker. <laughs> no, I can't love Joker. My brand would go down the drain. I feel like it's gotta happen. That's like the secret, like, Tyler Durden is not real twist of this entire series is going to be, oh, Joker. Aya's favorite movie of this entire thing is Joker. <laughs> you fucking ingrate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we're talking so much about Fight Club. I want to tell, before we get like, talk a little bit about it, I have to say the entire concept of this series is so stressful to me uh, <laughs> because I know that the films that we're about to discuss for the next few weeks are films that are maybe the most discussed on any film podcast or any film discussion that has ever like occurred between two men in the history of civilization. Like we're about to talk about the movies that men talk about. And yet I'm so like at a loss for words on what else to say about them. It's kind of one of my main two like primary intimidating factors. The first one being, these are films that are like already etched into the annals of time. These are the canon. These are the films that whenever you go into film writing for the first time, people go to these movies to write about for the first time. Like these are the films that they're most written about. Uh, and so trying to find a new angle, not just for this, this discussion that we're having, but a new angle for myself as an adult, because I would be so dismayed if I walked away from like the Godfather part two or something thinking the exact same thing about it as I did when I was like 11. Like I would just be so bummed out with myself, uh, which also kind of blends into my second biggest intimidating factor about this is that these are films that often the big boy patriarchal, like bro cinema movies. These are often the movies that have built people. Like, if you are a film fan, there is a huge chance that these movies are the movies that got you into movies. Uh, and so 
like talking about Fight Club today, that was such a life-changing movie for me. And it's like every episode of this fucking podcast is going to be like asking me, hey, can you tell me about the first time you tasted vanilla ice cream? And (laughs) I'm just going to have to say, yeah, I licked it and my life changed. Like, what the fuck else do you want me to say about vanilla ice cream? It's vanilla ice cream. It's the base. It's, it is the foundation. Uh, so we're, I'm trying, I'm hoping, I trust in the spirit of discourse, baby, that we will break through these personal uh, anxieties that I have. <laughs> <laughs> so to start. Uh, so let's, let's talk start. Fight Club, dude. Let's talk let's about do Fight it. Club. Uh, we saw this movie again recently. This, this was the first time I've seen Fight Club in many years. I would say definitely the first time since I was a teenager. Uh, I did not like it as much this time around. And I think what has changed is that I, fe- I, I find that mo- like cynical movies have to hit a really uh, careful recipe for me to care. And Fight Club kind of goes too hard in the cynicism to the point where it is two hours and 20 minutes of everything that is coming out of these characters' mouths is wrong and bad. That's the joke. And at, to a point, it gets so exhausting that I kind of stop caring about anything. Uh, Aya, this movie still holds a super like special place in your heart, right? It does. It does. And um, I will take any given opportunity to note that I did get a five on my English AP because I wrote my final essay about <laughs> Fight Club. <laughs> um, Great. So you're well equipped for this conversation. I've been preparing for this conversation since I was 18 years old. Um, it's I love Fight Club so much. Um, the film loses me. It's a little too long. If we're going to like talk about, you know, quality of cinema, it's too long. Um I think it gets, once you hit the Project Mayhem bit, you're exhausted from everything else that has already happened, that you're like, oh, should I still have like an hour left of this movie or or 45 minutes or however much is left after that point when you're just like, oh God, I can't. <laughs> but I think it comes back together when he finds out um, who Tyler Durden is. But um, basically... I was, I'm drawn to Fight Club because I, I didn't watch it until I was in high school, probably like senior, junior, senior year. And I realized, uh, and I watched it for the first time and I didn't really like it. And I thought, oh, this was fine. You know, what's the hype here? What's the big deal? And then, and I just watched it with my friend who had also never seen it. And it was really exciting because, you know, at the end she was like, I didn't really care for that. And then we started to unpack like what it means. And she was like, oh shit. I get it. (laughs) But I remember standing in the Blockbuster video on Lake Avenue in Altadena, California, RIP. And I remember standing there thinking about how I was just kept thinking about Fight Club. It kept coming back to me. And I was like, oh, shit, I think I love Fight Club. And then upon forcing my class to read it in senior year of high school, it opens the book opens up so much more depth that you maybe even an 18, a dumb 18 year old like me would miss in the movie. Um, but it was maybe one of the first times I went to an all-girls school. I feel like there's a lot of uh, backstory that's necessary for this podcast. I went to an all-girls school. Almost all of the books that I read, we focused on if there was no like prominent female, there was always a prominent female character. And if they weren't the main character, we would always focus on that character 
a Hamlet, for example, we talked so much about Ophelia, the, the Odyssey, we're talking about Penelope, like it was that energy. And a lot of our conversations were about the failings of masculinity and how, and so it was very apparent to me reading like the, like I said, the Odyssey and Hamlet, the way that like internalized, like these internalized misogyny and just like forced masculinity has harmed so many men and has stunted their growth in so many ways that I mean, Fight Club was like a natural progression and it was one of the first opportunities I got to read about that. And then also, I mean, the book was written by a gay man and there's like so much like underlying subtextual like homoeroticism that's like very important and it just kind of adds to that, like it fuels the fire of like what is masculinity and how is it represented in this day and age in this generation of men and there's the discussion of like watching cowboy movies on tv and those are replacements for your father and it's a lot about like i it was you know it was a really good opportunity and i feel like it's a good opportunity for a lot of young people to feel like deep for the first time you know to like experience depth and and even in especially in ways that aren't necessarily ever said and so there's just moments where you know like Tyler Durden's like you know we were abandoned by our fathers and now we're gonna fight our fathers <laughs> and it's it feels so obvious but it's it's so much more than what I'd say like the average fucking what like 20 year old dude who's watching it they're like yeah we gotta fight our dads and it's like no <laughs> You yeah, don't. I, I fucking, <laughs> you go to therapy. Yeah, I love the bluntness of Fight Club so much. And I think what's interesting about what you just mentioned about fighting your dad is that Brad Pitt is so hard in that bag that he's been making that same point in movies up until Ad Astra, where it's just everyone hates the voiceover in Ad Astra, but I fucking love it because it is the most stilted, like first guy's approach at emotions ever. Like, he is just trying to explain what he's feeling. And in the worst of ways, it reminded me of, like, every boyfriend who's ever, like, started sobbing in front of their girlfriend for the first time. <laughs> like, what comes out of their mouth? That's Brad Pitt's narration in Ad Astra. And so he's just been riding that fucking, like, I want to fight my dad so bad wave ever since 99. I love it. <laughs> Brad Pitt is like, boys, let's go to therapy. Like, that's what Brad Pitt wants from his viewers, <laughs> from his audience. He's like, let's go, boys, straight into a therapist's office because we need to talk about our daddy issues. <laughs> I've not seen Dad Astra, Brad Astra, Ad Astra. Oh, I think it's a terrific companion piece to this in in that it, it is basically a, a quieter uh, like, I guess it's not even like a dissection. It's just a portrait of a sad man realizing that closing himself off has been the source of all of his problems. Uh, and so in realizing that he is drifting alone in space, alone, completely alone, might I mention alone in space, <laughs> dare I say quarantined in space forced to reckon with all of his emotions Whoa. Ad Astra might be like a movie that's too real to watch right now uh I am definitely not going to do that uh but Brad yo let's bring the boys to therapy I can't believe that you tainted your entire all-girls school class with this book <laughs> you fucking did that 
uh, yeah, the other girl in my class wanted to read uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Beautiful and the Damned, and I said, fuck that. And I uh, bribed someone to vote for Fight Club and won. <laughs> I thought it was a really wow. rewarding experience, and I feel like it has completely molded my relationship with men <laughs> for the rest of my life. So I, I'm really curious because uh, the book is, while I think Fincher's film is like a very faithful adaptation of the book, uh, I also find that the two are very separate entities, regardless oh, yes. of how linked the two are. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, the queer reading of Fight Club, the film, I feel is a lot more subdued. I think the only real like sign we get of it is Tyler Durden's wardrobe, which is one of the film's like many contradictions. Uh, like so many times Jack and Tyler are talking about uh, self-improvement as masturbation, uh, yet when they start Fight Club, they start trimming their nails and cutting their hair. Uh, and, like, there's no winning in Fight Club, but when they start uh, having the Fight Club meetings, Tyler and Jack start sizing everybody up, and that's kind of what makes them feel superior, top of the food chain in this world. There is, even in this, like, freeing sense of community that they've uh, created, uh, they have still instilled uh, sort of not even a bureaucracy, but a food chain that is very much in power, which is, I mean, like, I guess it kind of goes to show that in any collection of men, you will never not have the, like, uh, humanizations of, like, the mental ids. Like, you will always identify betas. You will always identify alphas. And you will always antagonize either one based on your uh, comfort as a, quote-unquote, man. Uh, which I think Fight Club does really, th that's one of the points of cynicism of this, of, of like both the book and the film that really hits for me. Uh, but I'm curious in, in terms of, because I was sort of, I found, I wanted this movie to be gayer, you know? Yes. I kind of really wanted it. And I think the closest we get is when Brad Pitt is wearing that sheer hustler t-shirt when I'm like, oh, okay, we're getting somewhere. So this good. is something. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what can, can do you have anything on this? Cause I'm kind of at a loss. Um, I see it mostly in his relationship with Marla, where I think that a very easy reading is that he's jealous of Tyler for fucking Marla. But I, for me, it never, like it never felt that way. It always felt like he was more jealous that like he was, he was so resentful of Marla when she was like, you know, leaving the house and she, she would be like, why are you like switching around on me? It's because he is jealous. He wants that FaceTime with Tyler. He wants to fuck Tyler. Like, I mean, that's like a, a, you know, more intense reading, but like he ultimately like he, what he wants is Tyler. He is so drawn to this man. He like to even the moment when, you know, he discovers that his, you know, apartment is on fire. He calls Tyler this person he just yeah. met. And so to me, I think that that's the closest you're right. It's not gay enough. <laughs> Here's my review. Not gay <laughs> enough, but, um, the book goes into it far more because again, he is a queer man. So, um, yeah, but I, so I see it there too. I like, you mentioned the wardrobe. I thought that was interesting that like, he's wearing such flamboyant clothing even though he's like the image of like masculinity. And so, but like, isn't the image of masculinity kind of like flex? I don't know. It's like, it's flexible in, in a way. Like the reason I've been thinking about fight club so much recently is because, um, 
Rob McElhaney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia was recently on Conan and he spoke about how when he was getting really cut to play Mac in the most recent seasons, he uh, talked to his trainer and the trainer was like, don't tell me what you want to look like. And he was like, why? And the trainer was like, every man for the last 20 years has brought me the same picture. And Rob was like, who? And at the same time, they were like, Brad Pitt and Fight Club. Like he is, even in like, in the film, he's the image of masculinity. In real life, he is the image of masculinity. And like, he's not exactly what you expect. Like he doesn't look like he could play football. He doesn't look like he could like dunk on you. Like he couldn't beat you. He couldn't necessarily beat you in a fight, which is the interesting thing. He has a build that is like best suited for like a sculpture. Yeah. So like, it's interesting that like people want to look like that because it's like, okay, well then what is our picture of masculinity and what is how, like, why is this the ideal of masculinity, you know? And so I don't know. I think about like David Bowie almost and like Harry Styles and how like this concept of masculinity involves that like, gender bending thing because it's like you're so strong that you can still present as like the man's man while you're wearing a mesh shirt that says hustler on it <laughs> the fits he he fires off in this movie are so fucking hard it is awesome. unreal the because he's it's like he's definitely like the, it's an idea of like a thrifter who also kind of has a bit of a narcissistic eye for himself uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful stuff. And I think what the film does in maybe I further thinking about how it's maybe hiding its queer subtext is that a lot of people that are anti fight club are very, uh, their primary sort of, uh, critique is that the movie is actually glamorizing all of this behavior. Yeah. Uh, it is glamorizing this filth, this smut, like it kind of makes you want to love it, which I like. It is so odd that that has become a critique when that is basically the thesis of the movie. Yes. Like, yeah, Brad Pitt, casting Brad Pitt as like the ultimate toxic male id, that's the point. Like everyone wants to be Brad Pitt. Every man wants to be Brad Pitt. That is like the cruel joke of all of this. And in romanticizing Tyler Durden, that has then sort of translated into people seeing the film as glamorizing fight club as glamorizing project mayhem as basically making this film like really validating the fascist read on fight club, which I kind of find outrageous. I feel like you like you just, (laughs) just like watch the movie with both eyes. Like, I don't know how you walk away from this film that is, has Jack. It has, it has Jack, Edward Norton, whatever you want to call him, uh, very explicitly telling you what he feels. It has Tyler Durden very explicitly being the butt of the joke of the movie. And then to top it all off, you have a narration throughout the entire film that I kind of hated this time around. I thought it really undercut a lot of Edward Norton's performance. I thought what Edward Norton, I think Edward Norton in this movie does not get enough credit because of the narration. Because mm. he is a sweaty, frantic mess. And is like my favorite type of like like late 70s performance of just a stringy white dude way out of his depth. And that is kind of like all of Fight Club's last uh, like final stretch 
is basically it stops being Fight Club and it becomes Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Except instead of like a normal guy, the last human on Earth running away, it is the creator of the hive running away. Uh, mm. And I just find it to be such like a cold, sweaty, uh, really kind of like fun and insane genre twist where weirdly enough, if the project mayhem didn't work that well for you this time, it super well worked well for me. Like this movie didn't really click this watch until project mayhem came okay. in. And then I kind of see like once it actually, uh, physicalizes the cult of masculinity as this group of just fuck up idiots. Then I'm like, okay, I'm digging where this train is a rolling. <laughs> uh, what about, I, I, what about project mayhem doesn't work for you? I'm curious. Is it just a pacing thing? I think it's probably just a, mostly a pacing thing, but it's also just kind of like, I don't know. I love the relationship between Tyler and the narrator so much. And I love what this movie is when they're, I don't know, like when they're to that point. And then for some reason, even in the book, I remember getting to that point. (laughs) Maybe it's just my own like suspension of disbelief or lack thereof, but I just like can't get into it. Like every time I watch that part, I'm just like, this is not, this could not happen. You know, that's when it just starts to get away from me. And it's obviously like none of this could fucking happen. But at that point it becomes, it gets to a certain level of like, this is not, real like this could never be real like why is this even a joke and then the interesting thing is that in the book it ends differently the book it actually ends where they're like kind of successful and they are like hunting deer by the rockefeller center um but chuck polymer i believe has said that he actually prefers this the film's ending because it kind of you know they're they're successful but they still like he still like gets rid of tyler you know and so there's a level of like understanding that like that part of you needs to die to continue to exist. Um, whereas in the book, he's just like, Project Mayhem, we got it. <laughs> we are hunting deer at the Rockefeller Center. We are a lawless creed. <laughs> so we were talking about like Tyler dying and sort of Jack having to live as a loser. And we've been talking about Fight Club a lot as a two-hander. What I'm always shocked about when I watch Fight Club is that it is somehow a three-hander. Uh, what do you think of Marla? Because I, like, the older I get, the more I'm like, damn, this character, just fucking cut her out so we can get a clean 120 minutes. Like, I don't know <laughs> why we have to be here. I don't know why we're doing this. And I think this is a thing with a lot of these big boy movies where I think a lot of Goodfellas, where when you look back at Goodfellas, the uh, wife character, Karen, in that film is often seen as a sort of, like, byproduct of, like, the cool mafioso shit. But when you get older and you watch that film more, you realize, oh, wait, like, Goodfellas is basically a mob movie through the POV of a mobster's wife. Like, that is what the movie really is. Uh, And a lot of these sort of, like, singular female characters in these sausage fests are kind of relegated to kind of just being, they have a couple good scenes, and then if you're lucky, you have a Goodfellas, where it's like, oh, wait, hold on a second. This was a whole perspective experiment the whole time. Fight Club, I do not think falls into that Goodfellas camp. I think Marla is just, I mean, her biggest contribution to the film is uh, like basically a prank by Fincher with that line, uh, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school, which he put in after 20th, 20th Century Fox made him cut out 
something else that was very bad, but really definitely not up, yeah. as bad as getting fucked in grade school. Uh, and so, like, that's kind of, like, her shining moment. And I don't really see any other sort of purpose for her in this story. And I don't see the per- the story really ever giving her much reason to live other than for Jack to bounce ideas off of. Like, it's just an... Marla is just an easy story function to relay the fact that Tyler Durden is, is fake. Am yeah, I wrong? she's like... Or she. You're wrong. She's the audience uh, perspective of this movie, first of all, which like, yeah, that does kind of suck because she is the person, she's the only person who realizes, she's the first person to recognize there's something wrong here, you know? Like, she's the first person to be like, when she goes over to the house and then the next morning after she fucks Tyler, the next morning narrator's like, so mean to her and then she's like, put off by that. So that's like your, she is your first recognition that like, this guy is not what like it's not not as all as it seems what i noticed about marla this time my friends and i were like talking about you know who we relate to and i was like oh i didn't even realize it how much i like relate to marla where it's like that fucking sucks but um i mean she's she's this woman who's like at the mercy of this dude you know where she's kind of drawn to him yeah. in the way that the narrator is drawn to Tyler. And, but she's just at his mercy. She is like shoved around by him. One minute he loves her and he's going to fuck her better than she's been fucked since grade school. And then the next he's like, I don't know who you are, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's kind of an interesting way to just, because you know, he only interacts with men throughout the entire movie. It's just him talking to other dudes basically genuinely i don't think he talks to another woman at all um like really thinking about it i'm realizing now he doesn't speak like even the people random people he talks to like oh there's that one lady on the plane he talks to and then everyone else oh, he talks yeah. to is and like that's, a dude. that's that's a great scene too because she asks what uh uh car company he works for and he just looks at her and goes a major, a major. one uh so sinister so fucking sick so good um so yeah, like he doesn't, so you don't get to see him interact with women. And so she is a good kind of like jump, like a jumping in point for a female viewer where you're like, dudes are treated me like that, you know, where you're, and, but it's like, so it, it, it humanizes him in a way where like you could easily be like, while you're trying to like, oh, it's Tyler Durden she's the one who's like, you're treating me like shit when he like shoves her on a bus and she doesn't know what's going on. And he's like, she's like, you're the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And it's, it's like, Oh, right. This guy, like he's larger than life. The story is larger than life, but there's still this like connection to, Oh, right. He's still a person who's maintaining his interpersonal relationships and they're fucking terrible and he's awful. And so there's like, you can't, idolize him because she's there you know which is like i mean the way that women are always used it's like the fucking social network i mean there's so many connections between this movie and the social network for me like constantly because they're both tales about anti-heroes i don't even think they're anti-heroes they're genuinely just villains who are the main character and that's like a big connection between this movie and the social network is the way that he interacts with women you know like Marla Singer is at the same time Rooney Mara and Rashida Jones kind of giving him, you know, you're not 
you're not a bad guy, but every creation myth needs a devil, but also kind of like giving him his comeuppance of like, good luck with your video game, you know? So she is every role. She's Brenda Song, the crazy girlfriend. Like she's every woman in the social network in one. Um, And that's kind of an interesting, I mean, I know they're not written by the same person, but there's an overlap in terms of director. And so I think that that's an interesting connection just as like women are always used in Fincher movies, usually to humanize the, the dude. Yeah. I think it's so interesting about, and I want to touch back on Marla for a sec, but uh, Fincher, I love that this is his first kind of uh, foray into establishing a career that's just uh, adapting like airport smut. Just like <laughs> making airport novels the most gross and textured and like most like creepy crawly thing you could ever imagine. Uh, even though I, I'll give uh, Pally Nut credit, uh, Fight Club is definitely not an airport novel. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely pretty subversive still. Um, but I, I just love that like he goes for Gone Girl and he goes for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and like Benjamin Button isn't really, I wouldn't, I, I'm. I'd really have to watch it hard to get into that read of the movie. Uh, but this dude loves bad men and he loves to let you know that he knows that they're bad men. And I think fight club is sort of the training wheels for that because in, I mean, if, if gone girl is like the Mona Lisa, then this is sort of, I think the early sketchings because you know, Marla is essentially just, the personification of make the subtext text. Yes. Like it's just this human proof that these are not guys to root for, that their actions have consequences on the world. We see that through project mayhem, that they're basically like pranking everyone to a point where they start committing <laughs> acts of domestic terrorism. Uh, but Marla is like the one-to-one human to human interaction that project mayhem has with another person. And that's when you kind of see the villainy come out. I think Fincher, where he is now, would never for, like format the story that way. I think mm-hmm. he would go full jugular for the evilness of it. Um, but I, you know, it, it's interesting that this is often seen as his best film. I think this is just a sign of the incredible things that were to come from his yes. like oeuvre. You know, I remember talking uh, to a man one time about Fincher, and I don't think I had mentioned that I like deeply love the social network or anything. Um, but I remember talking to him and he was like, I don't like David Fincher. And I remember it was him trying to prove his like wokeness or whatever. And he was like, yeah, he only like, he makes movies like for dudes who like, you know, about guys who like, we think we're supposed to root for, you know, like basically staying again, like in a way equating this movie to a Joker kind of movie where like you're supposed to, and I'm like, how can you misread subtext so poorly like how can you watch the social network and think at the very end this guy was asking me to root for this dude the whole time how can you watch the fight the fight club and the fight club (laughs) and think oh what david fincher wanted me to take away from this is you are not your khakis that's not true (laughs) it's so far from it it's interesting. It's like it a is such an odd I, way to read a film. It's like it's like going to a magic show and like being mad that when the magician pulled like a rabbit out of a hat, you're like, it's, "Why didn't he try the hat on?" Like, <laughs> what? Why? What the fuck? What are you talking about? Why? Who? Who thinks like this? It's a converse. It's an interesting conversation, and it ties kind of. I had a conversation with my friend as well about. I asked her 
you know, which which celebrity would you fight? Uh, you know, I, I just, we're quarantined. You start to ask those questions. Um, so I was like, which celebrity would you fight? And she kind of was like, well, who could I beat? And it doesn't have to be, do, do I win? Am I winning or am I losing the fight? And I was like, it's not about the winning or the losing of the fight. It's that you're fighting. Like, doesn't matter what happens. You're fighting. And it just feels like that kind of qualification of like, oh, you're supposed to be rooting for this guy. I mean, it's, it's, it's similar. It's like you're thinking too, too, too linear. It's not about that. It's about what happens. Yeah. And I think with Fight Club and a lot of the films that we are going to discuss, I think we are going to face that issue quite a bit uh, in that these are films that have kind of been boxed in as very sort of linear uh, go-tos. And the sort of artistic complexities of these works have been sort of tossed to the wayside so that their reputation will entirely preclude them in any sort of cultural discourse or, or any conversation, uh, which is unfortunate, but I mean, also there are, you know, these are ultra popular movies. So you win some and you lose some when you (laughs) attain a status this legendary and this huge, like when everyone in America and like across the world, if you were to ask them like their top 100 and they would have probably a good selection of the movies that we're going to talk about, fuck it. You know what? Let them misread your movie. You're doing okay. <laughs> but, you know, I guess what we're hoping to do is sort of level down and sort of like bring out the fucking microscope, baby, and uh, check these movies out uh, in a, a way that, a closer way that we have noticed has like fucking gone the way of the dodo. People just don't <laughs> want to watch movies, dude. <laughs> let's talk about boys. Oh, uh, let's talk about these fucking big boys. Big boys. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, we're going to keep doing this for a few weeks. We don't know exactly what the layout is for this. We're kind of just going to wing it until either the world burns or we are able to go back into civilization. Uh, but we want to thank everyone who subscribes to the Merry Round magazine, Patreon. That is Thanks, super guys. cool of you. Uh, we want to make more shit for you. Uh, we like to do it and, uh, <laughs> we hope that you enjoy this uh, and we hope that you, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do to help get you through whatever this weird time is. If you do, for some reason, choose us to help you get through it, we'd really appreciate it <laughs> from everyone at Merry Go Round. Uh, Aya, any closing remarks as we embark on this weird ass fucking miniseries? Um, super stoked to talk about some boys. I, I love to talk about boys. The theme song of this podcast, Boys by Charlie XCX. Yeah, there we go. We don't have those clearance rights, but we'll try our best to find something We're from gonna- our music library. <laughs> we them boys, baby. We them boys. We them boys. All right. We'll, we'll see you on the fucking flip side. I'm sorry that I missed your party. I wish I had a better excuse, but I can't even lie. You got me. I was busy thinking about boys, boys, boys. I was busy dreaming about boys, boys.